everyone it's tf uh, it's the free one god damn i i <laughs> had such a good thing going where i just wouldn't say what it was then you told me that you were doing that and, and so now yeah. i'm gonna think about whether it's the free and one I've or not relied on you not knowing whether it's sun a thursday or monday he was relying on me not knowing what day of the week it was which but was it's <laughs> thursday it's that thursday <laughs> feeling we're recording the free one it's a pretty good bet to rely on you to not know what day of the week it is yeah, to be fair i don't oh, sure, fuck what the, day in, of the week unless it is. unless you give milo an incentive to like that's right Okay. Don't incentivize me. I'm motivated by spite. You know this. You're doing nudge theory on Milo to learn what day of the week it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, ooh. So far, I know the names of three. It would, it would really <laughs> oh, annoy I'd be me. so owned if you knew what day of the week it was. Oh, God. Yeah. I would hate it if you looked at the calendar. Ooh. <laughs> be so owned. The thing is, I, I actually I live my life almost entirely by my calendar, but I never actually look at what by the day calendar. it is. Yeah, I do. You live by the calendar, you die by the calendar. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> I die by calendar, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's TF. Uh, it's myself, Riley. Uh, I'm here with Milo yourself. and Alice. It's uh, me, yeah, PC it's yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah. PC Edwards, PC Caldwell Kelly, PC yeah. Quinn. Uh, yeah, right. I'm, I'm here with a gentleman and a lady. Interview commencing, 1928 hours. Yeah, that's right. God, they really know when this is being recorded, huh? Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, cast your minds back to then and you'll have the context for this. Uh, no, it, and we are going to be talking about some stuff in the front half of the episode. And then in the back half, we're going to be talking to academic Phil Burton Cartledge about trying to understand what the Tory party is as like a sociological phenomenon. And I'm so looking that, forward to doing that after uh, this. Boy, yeah. I wonder what let, that let conversation is going to be like. That for you mm. a little bit by saying simply that when Riley was doing the notes, he had a beautiful, perfect plan to sound smart. And he told me this by going, so what is the Conservative Party? And now that we've already recorded that, I know that he doesn't get to say it, and it's driving him crazy. <laughs> mm. uh, please not reveal my interviewing techniques on the podcast. So what is <laughs> the, what is trash so, you, you yourself are a sociologist, is that correct? So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you was writing a book about the party. <laughs> We're going to talk. We're going to talk about some stuff. So I, I have some, some planned notes and so on, but today, uh, a, a sort of perfect storm of events were uh, announced. That essentially has meant that Britain has now officially recorded the single most significant decrease in living standards since record keeping began. We're the number Is- one, baby! <laughs> Yo, World fuck you! Champs. Yeah, that's World right. Champs. We have done it once again. Mm. Uh, every- everything has been, er- everything is now much worse. Energy costs, of course, have gone up by a record amount. Uh, with the why Tories. is that, yeah. by the way? Does anyone have any clues as to why that might be? Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, energy costs to consumers in France have gone up only 4%, because if huh. they went up any higher, huh. they would overturn the country. <laughs> they would flip. <laughs> they would all gather in Narbonne and flip the country like a car. The firemen would have to fight the police again, and they can't afford that. 
Um, um, yeah. Well, it, it, that's what's interesting, though, in that basically there's this kind of tendency where like prices only ever go up regardless of the market conditions. I've noticed this mm. with like when there was that petrol shortage, petrol went up by like 25 percent and it's just never come down again, even though there's no longer a petrol yeah, shortage. It's, it's, it's like a ratchet. Yeah, yeah it, yeah, it yeah, only yeah. goes in one direction. Well, and but- the same thing's happened with the energy crisis, like all that Russian supply crisis shit, I think, is basically over. But the energy companies are like, eh, well. <laughs> We yeah. put the prices up now, so yeah. Uh, yeah sh- sh- Shell's nineteen billion uh, pound profits this yep. year. Yeah, eight uh-huh. and a half billion oh, paid out year. in dividends, uh, uh-huh. and yet energy costs like going up by an average of seven hundred pounds, I believe. Uh, if I, not, I, I think that's right. Yeah, and, and then more, something more in subsequent years, uh, and of, and then also inflation spiraling because the Monetary Policy Committee is like, well, I wonder where all these price rises are coming from. I suppose it's people doing too much business, so we have to put the rates up to encourage saving. Yeah, the, yeah. the Bank of England has projected that uh, that um, uh, inflation is going to go up 7% and, this year. And? Which is so funny to me, because I this is the thing. As, as, a, as a leftist, I'm cursed with having a memory, one of the like only groups of people in this country that does. <laughs> and so I remember... When a certain magical jam man was going to like maybe get some nice things, some nice social programs going, mm-hmm. but we couldn't do that because if we did, we would get uncontrolled inflation, and that could not be allowed to happen. No, it yeah. whereas now, now that uncontrolled inflation is just fucking happening anyway, and, yeah. uh, and you just, love you it, you know, walk it off. Yeah, you yeah. love it actually. Yeah. Uh, but, you uh, kiss it on the mouth. Yeah, it's it's and also rents up eight point three percent as well. Huh. Cool, yeah. great. All of it's up, and this is all you know, all up, and uh, and at the and, and sorry, I'm going to take that up. again. It's going to take that again. <laughs> it's all up, and all that anyone seems to have to answer for it is the you're on your own version of like the Victorian vision of the welfare state, where I don't know, maybe like the fucking uh, Salvation Army is going to come and give you a lump of coal uh, to yeah, bring workhouses back. Yeah, yeah, and if you raise the minimum wage, it'll make the economy sad. So yeah. So, but this isn't that raising energy prices to uh, pay for massive share buybacks and dividends to like other countries, uh, energy companies mm. that own that own the other ones. Um, that's 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 different from a minimum wage increase. That's a price increase, and that's different. <laughs> French energy companies aren't putting up the fucking energy prices in France because they own all of the British energy companies. <laughs> put up the prices no, no. by like a that's, 50%. That's, that's different. That's rail. That's rail mm. franchising. Well, Unfortunately, also, it's not as tidy well, as that. The, the, the one no. thing, aside from like a bunch of people in high-vis jackets, like turning the entire country over like a car, that's uh, that would explain why France's energy uh, bills mm. are not going up that much is because they invested heavily in nuclear power, a thing which we were too bitch made to do seriously well yeah we can't do that because it would make like a heron sad so so mm. right this is but right what we have is we have the it's focusing purely on energy prices not the other huge spikes that are happening all over the rest of the economy only being made worse by the people who are supposed to keep quote-unquote credibility whatever the fuck that means the monetary policy committee uh is just focusing purely on energy prices, right? The conservative vision is, well, I'm sorry, it's not sustainable to keep an energy price cap. Some of you are going to have to freeze. That's just the way it is. Yeah, we, we have to yeah. stick to sustainable things like um, oil and uh, yeah. coal and, and natural also gas. people uh, freezing to death. Uh, yes. Yep. Cool. And secondly, right, the, and, the, and what is, of course, the opposition doing is they're saying, we believe that we should not break the record uh, for an energy price increase year on year by well, quite no, as much. 
That's not what the opposition is doing. What the opposition is doing is getting Ke is busy getting Keir Starmer's name in as many places as possible in connection with Jimmy Savile. <laughs> that rules. Uh, no, no, but this is just focusing purely on the. We're going to get to that in a sec. But focusing purely on the energy cri uh, price cri energy price crisis, uh, the they've price said crisis. Yeah, They've said what they're going to do is they're no. The bills should increase by two hundred pounds less, which is still record breaking. Cool. Yeah, to 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 a mere five hundred pounds yeah. extra a year, a thing which everybody has on hand. <laughs> we I are assume. going to break the record, but not by as much. Please let us have the Xbox controller. Well, oh, Rishi Sunak has now come out because, like, again, something that we'll we'll get into in the in the serious segment. But like, the Tories hate governing, and one of the reasons why they hate governing is because they have to actually make policy, and sometimes that policy is catastrophically unpopular because all they know how to do is piss down your back and tell you it's raining. And so, what they've done in this instance is given you a, a like. A I'm at this party. Someone has pissed <laughs> down my back, and I'm informed that it is raining. More at eleven. <laughs> The weather. The giving Thank you for the rude training. Thank you for the. Uh, thank you for <laughs> recapping all of what we were saying to one another before we started recording. My yeah, the, uh, our room joke of a Midwestern news reporter who's insanely horny all yeah, the time. Yeah, a sex but, party. That's right. That's right. But uh, like, no. Instead, what they've done is they've given you a loan. Yeah. Yeah. They've given you a loan. So your energy price, your 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 bill is going to go up by a huge amount this this year, yes. less two hundred pounds, and then it's going to go up by the same huge amount in subsequent years, plus the forty pounds that you owe from this time, because we need to make sure that Shell can continue paying. It's 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 never. I mean, uh, this seems very like fucking just so fucking like uh, uh, trite yeah. to say, but like mm. the idea that oh, it's not it is not sustainable to fill to funnel extra money to. The people that you know need the heating and stuff, but it is only sustainable to funnel all that extra money to like I don't know, like BlackRock, so that they can get the uh, the dividends from their the, shell the shares. Th the thing that really, really bothers me, and I know hypocrisy is table stakes at this point. And I know we shouldn't care about it, and we shouldn't let it get to us. But this does get to me: is that like we've been told for years and years and years by this same like business wing, by the same treasury wing of the Conservative Party, that like. First of all, national budgets are the same as household budgets. And second of all, if you're experiencing like problems in your like personal debt, that's down to your own fiscal irresponsibility. So for them to for them to now uh, interfere with quite literal household budgets in order to force personal debt on you uh, is just, just mm, mm. Well, it's the it's also the you let the other end right, which is well, we need all this privatization so that we can get efficiencies and innovation and everything. And where there's less privatization, there's less price increases. Yeah, where yeah, are the efficiencies? Sure. Where's the there was never? I mean, obviously, we know there was never any innovation or any none of that was ever coming down the pipe. But to see it so nakedly. Well, hang on a minute. I'm not sure about your reasoning here because uh, we didn't have these efficiencies, right? And then we privatized everything, and, and we still don't have the efficiencies, right? So presumably that means we need to privatize it more. We've not yeah. done enough. Ima <laughs> like, imagine if we did elect Corbyn, maybe f inflation would be at uh, you know 11 billion percent. Exactly. Yeah, maybe well, we, it would. we did the thing of like uh, letting a thousand flowers bloom, of letting like dozens and dozens <laughs> of energy companies uh, g get started. They were entitled to their privatization proclivities. <laughs> and then, and then the second that like things got bad, all of those energy companies just died on their ass instantly. Yeah, but again, not without like again making some. 
making some like you know Open guys looking to make companies. a fast buck uh, yeah, <laughs> that is basically yeah. what they were to be honest like oh yeah i'm i'm like calm energy and i'm gonna be your electricity provider now uh, they all got gonged off <laughs> yeah basically guy who yeah. has been told by his friends too many times that he's funny no guy yeah. who's been told too many times by his friends that he's really good at allocating electricity yeah a pissed plasterer <laughs> held up the fucking audience card and they got gonged off it was sad to see <laughs> all right goodbye uh, bulb I want to talk a little bit about something you alluded to earlier, Alice, uh, and something I'd like to add, actually, uh, that we talked about a year ago and said it was going to happen. Once again, history has vindicated us. We have never been wrong about anything except that we thought Jeremy Corbyn could be prime minister. We were wrong about one big thing, but then every other thing. Everything else. We've we've only been owned once in history. Yeah, with we are we are basically we're like the Lakers on a very good season. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's right. Um, So basically, if you don't, if you if you haven't been sort of following what's going on. Uh, is that Boris Johnson, uh, akin to, again, a sort of wounded badger at this point, starting uh, lashing out and has... And he's got TB. Yeah, yeah that's so right. watch out. <laughs> wounded badgers often call people pedophiles. It's that's very, right. it's very so difficult. I'll, I'll sort of lay out what's going on. Um, and especially this for American listeners, probably some good context, uh, which is, again, as like... Boris Johnson feels more sort of pressure from uh, various elements of his Some own party. Some context for American yeah. viewers. Pedophile is the way we pronounce pedophile because we're a stupid country. <laughs> That's right. So note that down. Um, so Boris Johnson has an in the commons uh, where you, know, you can't be uh, in the commons. You have parliamentary privilege. You can kind of say what you want. Uh, basically repeated something that is very frequent, um, comes up on like telegraph comment section, um, various like right wing blogs, all this stuff. Which is that uh, Keir Starmer well, basically was personally involved in the decision made by the Crown Prosecution Service to not prosecute Jimmy Savile because they had insufficient evidence in the late 2000s when they almost certainly probably could have. Now, just again, this is in the way that they're saying this, this isn't true. Like he was in charge of it. He was not personally involved in the case. And the way that this particular attack line goes, it says basically, oh, Starmer, bit soft on Savile, wasn't he? He's kind of a wrongin, etc. Please, please do not mention any of the photos of Savile with, you know, Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, obviously. So basically, in this statement, like I said, it is partly true. He was in charge of the institution at the time. Um, but like he wasn't sure, in charge of the decision. But it's like it's Savile. so so insulting to like of all like you barely ever hear about Starmer when he as as like former director of public prosecutions, right? Like he mentions it occasionally because he thinks it makes him sound forensic. But you yeah. never get any criticism of him or his record when he was doing this shit, when he was the like chief prosecutor for England and Wales. And the first time it's ever really taken off has been like a really tenuous sort of like crank fringe thing about not prosecuting Jimmy Savile when they, you know, for all I know, they didn't have the evidence to convict him. So, but anyway, right. I, uh, this is just sort of the set uh, in more in terms of table setting, right? If you want to really live by the principle that I think a lot of people who are currently pretending to be shocked and horrified about this uh, have eagerly lived by for a few years, then anyone at the top of an organization has to take responsibility for everything that happens within that organization, such as, for example, the social media (laughs) posts of, for example, labor members, right? (laughs) A lot of people who are very, very aghast uh, that Boris Johnson would bring this up also were saying, well, 
Jeremy Corbyn clearly can't be in charge of the Labour Party. Look what you know, um, uh, you know, Bren, like Brenda forty three seventy two whatever posted about Mossad. You know, right? This this in, in fairness, Brenda fourteen seventy three is a fucking uh, <laughs> like crank. <laughs> She's right. a lot better than Brenda fourteen eighty eight though. I'll give her that. <laughs> so this is this is oh, a you don't want to yeah. hear her opinions yeah. about Mossad, Jesus. Yeah. Absolutely right. So this is and at this point now, full fact has come to bat for Starmer, which is how you know that these people do not know how to manage this. Martin and, yeah. Prince is going to yes. bail me out He's of this one. He's defended by the more assertive nerds. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, right. it's the bit in Never Been Kissed where the fucking the math club are like, we can offer you some protection from the bullies. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, that's a strangely specific reference. I uh, watched Never Been Kissed for Masters of Our Domain recently. Hey, okay. listen to Masters of Our Domain. It's all <laughs> right. about Never Been Kissed. Right. So, I, I, I guess what we're coming back round to now is there is this um, we, we have the, there's this association that's been drawn between Starmer and Savile and uh, a lot of and, and it's you know again it's spurious but I don't know I seem to and, and people are saying oh this is uniquely toxic for our democracy but like is it more toxic than the Trojan horse Muslim allegations right is it more toxic that when, than when Simon Heffer got on the radio and said Corbyn would reopen Auschwitz is it oh, yeah, more sure. yeah. it, 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 it's, it's, it's hypocrisy fine yeah. like you, we know that and like of course we know that like living in this country like remembering anything that anyone has ever said previously is incredibly powerful and incredibly annoying right the idea of Jeremy Corbyn like going to Poland, a country he has no control over, and walking into what is now a museum and being like, fire this thing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? But and and so what we get, right, is is is, is there there's this this attitude of, ah, oh, this is uniquely damaging, this is uniquely bad, this is a new low. And it's like, well, no, this is more more continuity, I would say. Than change. It's just a lot of people who've been very happy to dish out this kind of thing are now very, very, um, again, aghast, or uh, you might say hurt, uh, that uh, these chickens that they have fed and raised and then let out into the world have now come home to roost. And no, you'll forgive oh, me. Not roosting again. Yeah. Those <laughs> fucking yeah. winged cunts. Every year I feed them, I look after them, and how do they repay me? By roosting in me fucking ass. <laughs> and I think beyond beyond I think like what what like whether or not who should say what I think those aren't particularly interesting questions. What I can say is that what you can see now is everyone who thinks Starmer is great, who's decided that their main offer to the electorate is that the prime minister is a scallywag, uh, and that you know he's he his, is. he's a little yeah, scamp, yeah, and that his unique <laughs> badness makes the you know supporting Starmer. The necessary thing that everyone has to do, kind of like the Biden pitch, which you know worked mm. for them, right? Yeah. But that, but that, in so doing, they're saying, "Look at this terrible thing that Boris Johnson said," which means that they're going on TV and saying the, these words next to one another dozens of times. Here's Starmer, Jimmy Savile. Here's Starmer, Jimmy Savile. Here's Starmer, Jimmy Savile. And if you just get your news from Facebook, then you're just going to be like, "Here, Starmer was involved with Jimmy Savile." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Weird that these two are like linked together. Anyway, like, do you know that Keir Starmer was in Shawdy Waddy? <laughs> I I could believe that like well, Keir Starmer could like win an election off of this, mm. but mm. equally he could just lose it because he doesn't know how to crisis manage. Yeah, yeah, right. I will fix it for you to have <laughs> a, a, a functioning infrastructure. Okay, <laughs> the band will be air out. fiduciary management. 
that's conducive <laughs> to the future of Britain getting moving. He's got a pair of like round, like rose-tinted sunglasses yeah. <laughs> in a shell suit. Yeah. <laughs> really leans into it. Yeah, wig. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you do sort of see the opposite of this, right? Which is that, like, I've seen a couple of people on the left who've been like, uh, you know, I I know that this like smear isn't true. But mm. I'm going to pretend that I think it is because of like the the hypocrisy of like Smear and Corbyn or whatever. To which my response is just like this is weak shit, right? Like if you're mm. going to get on their level, you have to get on their level, not just be coy about it and be like, oh, I, you know, uh, serves you right. No, call Boris Johnson a pedophile. I think <laughs> yeah, yeah, Keir yeah. Starmer should come into the House of Commons with one of those like hard laptop cases, lay mm. that shit on the dispatch box, and say, I've invented a new nonce detector. Pop the fucking lid on that shit, slide it across the table to Boris, and make that shit start beeping. Beep, beep. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> it's pointing at you, Boris, and it's going beep, 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 beep. Now, why would a nonce detector do that? <laughs> We're back to Hardball Starmer, one of our favourite characters again, doing the Seagull voice. Yeah. I'd like to invite you to a little party. A little party with my fist. That's right. Oh, boy. Not uh, a kid's party. You'd probably like that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Seagull would be something like, yeah, you went to the kid's birthday party, but you didn't expect me to be the clown. <laughs> I'm not a clown, but I'm, I am disguised as a clown. I, I want to write that down. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to juggle with your ass. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching a lot of cigar movies recently. <laughs> <laughs> juggle with your ass. So, I mean, saying that to Jake I mean, from the, the, I think the best, the best Steven Seagal line is in the movie Exit Wounds, which I watched uh, for The Bottleman with uh, Dan Wilmenecker, uh, which was. Uh, he's to be watching movies for yeah. our podcast. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I have the main one that it's I do a research. lot of like research for, and then I have the other one that I also do a lot of research for. So I like to watch it's a movie occasionally. Uh, you know, it's where he's he's going up to a group of guys that are trying to steal his truck, and then he's like, I, I, and he says some some shit. You see and, these gentlemen stealing your truck? How do you open? Then, well, and then uh, the guy, like, some guys, like, what are you a magician or something? And he's just like. Yeah, I'm going to pull a rabbit out of your ass. <laughs> it's just like one of the, one of the most This man says he's going to pull a rabbit of, out of my ass. One of the most perfect line reads ever. Anyway, eleven. Look, I want to talk a little more about this, right? Uh, it's that the, the standard like response from not just the Starmer camp, but like his allies in the press and also like some people in the Tory party, which like this makes this different from any of the anything they tried to pin on Corbyn during the Corbyn years, because during the Corbyn years, there was a pretty robust elite consensus, right? That if the Sun publishes something by Aryan Unity, or that was informed by a group called Aryan Unity, which they did, right? Hmm. Then no one's really going to talk about it, or everyone's going to kind of support this idea that he's uniquely bad and so on. It was supported in the Labour Party, basically the whole press, and also the, uh, and also the Conservative Party, right? In this case... In this this thing, there's a lot more division as to people who are think that who are aghast that this is bad, and the people who are you know going on TV and gleefully repeating it or writing it in columns. And the thing is, it's not just everyone condemning it. There is a split here, and and so you get to see like well, to what extent is something like this driven by institutional support? Where's the institutional support uh, uh, for it gonna gonna be uh, actually like pushing the lever of change? But crucially. 
the people who are against it, who are saying, no, this is wrong to say the prime minister is scurrilous. In fact, Munira Mirza quit Downing Street as an advisor, citing the PM as, quote unquote, scurrilous and was called absolutely swashbuckling. Yeah, and was he called, really yeah. doesn't have any scurrils. Yeah. <laughs> and was then hailed, of course, for her moral courage by Dominic Cummings. Uh, so again, you can realize like all, all of this, all of this is purely just spectacle. None of it actually, I mean, table stakes, all of this is purely spectacle because this is where these people all want politics to be is nothing in the, nothing but the realm of spectacle. And then you can either boo the spectacle or cheer the spectacle. And this, the way though, that Starmer's allies are booing this bit of the spectacle is again, to like talk about how wrong and despicable it is, but while repeating it constantly. And I just like, have you learned nothing? Have you observed no, nothing? No, no, no. They no, refuse to do no. that. We're the only people that remember things. It's us three and maybe like two other guys. Those are the only people that remember anything. And yeah, as boring. Nathan Hussein. Yeah, exactly. As boring. Hussein doesn't remember anything. Come on. As boring <laughs> as it is to do like the uh, the the Trump comparison, like it, it does remind me of all the people who would like quit the Trump administration in oh, disgust yeah, periodically. Yeah, yeah. Right. And be Trump like, starter. I can't believe that Donald Trump has done this. He's gone too far. Like, oh, you went and worked for Donald Trump and you were like surprised he was rude to you. Like what? Like how how dumb are you? <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it, this is this is basically just like a game of Red Rover where everyone's friends, right? Like yeah, they're, and, they're and like the the sole guardians of truth in this country are us and a guy on Twitter with a Simpsons avatar, <laughs> uh, and it's like yeah okay, like the fact that this is like now it's politically convenient to attack Johnson on this if you're a Tory doesn't do anything to you know about the actual pipeline, and that's the thing that interests me is that like you can start these smears in fully QAnon or fully fascist groups, and then they'll just sort of like launder their way into respectability. And that's just one of the things that the Conservative Party and its elected officials are there to do, is to provide that laundry service. Yeah. And God help us, uh, there's going there's a, a group of Washington generals who are going to be there to be a kind of, not a controlled opposition, but a self-controlled opposition who want to make sure those smears get through, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, smear us. The even uh, funnier the move print. would to be like to do some kind of sigma move and start insisting that Jimmy Savile wasn't a nonce. Actually, it's a conspiracy <laughs> that <laughs> Boris Johnson is at the top of to smear a good man's name. Here, Starver, here, here, our advice. Yeah, we're giving you good advice. Go full in. Start, start dressing like him too, like earlier. Yeah. When other people zig, I like to zag. So I am a nonce, and it's good, actually. Why, why aren't you a nonce? Is it because you're gay? Mm. The, the, we're elected with 100% of the vote. <laughs> he makes a good point. I don't normally like him, but he, that maybe he is gay. Yeah, <laughs> I'd not thought that. Landslide. Yeah, uh, the thing is, we we the other thing, funny thing is, right? This isn't the first time that a conservative party has a conservative party politician, a leading one, has said this exact thing about Keir Starmer. It's just the last time they did it, it was in 2019, and no one was outraged back then because it was very very important that every single thing you can say about the Labour Party that's bad lands and goes get and lands unquestioningly. Anyway, so I mean, look, it's. It, it's it's just that uh, you know this is this is not a monster of the Tory party's making. This is a monster of British establishment politics is making because they chose to do these kinds of things and allow these kinds of things when it was politically expedient for them to do so. And now, whoopsie daisy, it's being deployed. A weapon I have formed has been turned against me. Oh no! I hear, yeah. I hear that mm. it sucks to suck. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, there, there, are t- there are two things that are going on here, which is, one, they have very much been hoisted by their own petard, uh, which is funny. Unfortunately, the petard is also very bad mm-hmm. and is going to <laughs> de- further destroy yeah, <laughs> what but, uh, remains uh, of British politics. I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I think that ship sailed a long time ago. At this point, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, like Alice, like you say, you know, uh, sucks to suck. Good luck. Uh, it's like a useful, it, it is like a useful barometer of how much worse our politics are getting, and curiously, I think how much more American our politics are getting. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm excited for this to this to continue. So you know, um, would you trust Keir Starmer to answer the phone in the middle of the night if the Chinese were invading? He'd probably be <laughs> shagging a child. <laughs> <laughs> I approve it, this it, message. <laughs> it, I, it, I know it's like unsurprising, right? But I do think it is worth briefly noticing just how personally like malign and fucking nasty Boris gets when he's cornered at all. I just I, I find that very sort of compelling. Like you know when he's when he's on the ropes, all of the bluster just drops for a second, and he just goes to ah. You are a nonce, and I really, I really like you know that that gives some depth to his You've character. Activated my trap card. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, look, it's it certainly makes him more interesting. Uh, oh, yeah, it's, just... it's like oh, you you found my my secret deep down personality where I'm a different kind of cunt than the one everyone thought mm. I was. I prefer to imagine that Boris Johnson actually just does get his news off Facebook and doesn't read the things in the dispatch boxes <laughs> and just showed up and like I finally got something on Starmer. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they apparently advised him, uh, like his spads and stuff, advised him in strong terms not to fucking use the line, and he just did it anyway. So, and the thing is, right? Like, the it's the things are far from certain as in British politics. It's a febrile time, so you know, could it be that this could it be that this provokes more people to send in letters, so he gets replaced by someone with his exact same ideology? Uh, could this be the thing that like sticks to Starmer and like he's actually has a hard time shedding? We, Could we this don't be fucking the thing know. that opens up new pork markets at yeah. long last? Finally. This is, this, is like, this is the small domino to the big domino of new pork markets, long closed, yearning to be open. Uh, nothing's <laughs> going to stick to me. I'm perfectly smooth and oiled. <laughs> I want that on the record. <laughs> all right, all right. Look, uh, that's enough. enough. We're going to do a little like politics sandwich. We did some politics up front. We got some politics out back. But I yeah, want to talk. And then we briefly remember we're a tech podcast. I want mm. that. We're, we're, we're whatever we feel like talking about. We're, we're a fun times podcast. Yeah, we're a fun times podcast. We're, we're, we're not, we're not a regular podcast. We're a fun podcast. Yeah, we're a podcast. We're hanging out with the fellas. I don't mind you smoking weed so long as you smoke weed in the house where yeah. I can know you're safe. Yeah, we all we actually have special chairs around the table that we podcast from that are sp- supposed to be backwards. Mm, that's <laughs> um, no, so. There's been a few like different Web three projects, sort of, uh, sort of skipping around uh, the internet a little bit, gallivanting yeah. about the place. Mm. A couple, and, yeah. And there have been there have been a couple. I want to talk about both of them. One today, probably one on Monday with uh, our guest on Monday. And uh, Monday's so guest is full of grace. Monday's guest <laughs> full of grace. Uh, so let's talk about the Color Dot Museum. Oh, I hate this already. Yeah. <laughs> you can own the building blocks of the future. Okay. Behold. Bricks? Nope. I, I don't like anything that starts with a behold, I'm sorry. <laughs> behold the color NFT. Oh, fuck. So you can buy a color. What if you could own the, the <sighs> fucking Pantone color of the year? Yeah, well, you can. Now, well, sort of. In as much as you can claim to own anything on a blockchain other than a link to somewhere on a server, and you own whatever's there. Yeah. <sighs> so, 
what is a color NFT? They they ask. And but but before I go into this any further as well, I want to note right that as as the podcast as time goes on, things that the podcast talks about shifts. Right, we started talking about dumb, silly products back at the very beginning. Who can remember that? And then. Mm. And now we of, talk about really fucking stupid products. And then, <laughs> and then we started looking at sort of like large, well-funded startups that like SoftBank was pouring lots of money into. But now we're trying to find where the stupid energy is. And a lot of the stupid energy is in these Web3 projects that aren't companies that you don't need to like fill in a form or anything to set up. And so the barriers to entry are basically nothing. You just it's invent a gift yeah. for us. Yeah. I love t- that like <laughs> filling out a form is now like beyond most of the like the, the level of people in business has become so stupid that like, oh, I have to like fill out a form? Nah. <laughs> I'm just gonna invent my own money. How about create an Instagram account? And to I be can honest, do that. Not not that stupid because they do seem to make some money out of it. Um so uh and so basically what happens, right, is these projects just spring up and then if enough rubes put enough money into them, um then the project is heralded as a success. If not, then it just goes and collapses and it took zero capital to sort of create. Sorry, sir, your apes weren't bored enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these, no one's interested. These uh these quiescent apes are not very interesting to <laughs> Uh so uh, so this is, this is just sort of a preamble, right? To a lot of these Web3 projects, it's just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, mm. Because it requires no investment, you just invent the your answer, own money. The answer, of course, is always shit. Yeah, of course. So with that in mind, uh, let's just think of this project in that way. So what is, they ask, a color NFT? And I know that they're smart because they've asked a very large general question out front and put the yeah. emphasis what on is, the word is. Yeah. What is a color NFT? What is a color NFT? Now, before you answer the question, I'd like you to note that we're talking about colors here, not shapes. Now, the one thing about shapes is they can't be pyramids. Wait, sorry. No, wait. The one thing about colors is they can't. I'm sorry. I'm very stupid. The one thing about uh, colors that's is. That's why you don't get to the, ask the, the brick quick broad questions. One thing about colors is that the pyramid is the shape of. Uh, um, they can't. Um, I had a well constructed joke in my head that I just failed to say. The joke in my head makes sense. The, the thing about colors is they uh-huh. they aren't shapes. Okay. And they, therefore, okay, not. they can't be pyramids, which okay. this project which, which is, is so not. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're totally safe. That was so good. I'm glad you took the time to get that one out. It would have been funny if I'd have got it out. Of the <laughs> Listeners, uh, please remember this in the way Milo wants you to remember it. That's right. Do <laughs> to gaslight yourselves. That's right. And then gatekeep yourself and you'll be a girl boss. Gasleak, girl keep, gate boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, what is a color NFT? A color NFT represents a new category of NFT, which is a meta NFT. Great. Looking forward to it. So... A meta NFT is usable as a building block to spawn new NFTs. Oh, so you're buying the, co- the, the you're buying an NFT of the colors in someone else's NFT. Correct. So you can charge rents on someone using. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> so, so this is a thing that I've been talking about constantly now, right? Is that like Riley? Since you turned me onto the idea of like capital needing an expanding frontier forever and it running out of physical frontiers, so just having to displace them into fake bullshit. NFTs are a frontier, right? What's the first thing a frontier needs after it's been settled? Rentiers. Yeah, that's right. And and so we have this now. Yeah, yeah. You, well, you can rent the components of your ape. Yeah. No, that's true. That's what it is. It's saying if I you actually own the copyright to the pussy eating gesture. So uh, how <laughs> I'm renting it? Out. How this intends to work, right? Is it supposed to be something like OpenSea, which is one of these NFT marketplaces? And open everyone hates OpenSea because it's one of the biggest. Uh, it's one of the biggest ones, 
which means that it's had the most problems, which means it's had to institutionalize itself. So everyone's like, hey, wait a minute. I need uh, you. Someone stole all my apes. I have to call a complaint department. And OpenSea's like, well, I guess we need a complaint department now. And so it's just become it's gone from a blockchain just like a normal company. becoming a central bank. Yeah, yeah, because all of these guys have found out the hard way why every banking regulation exists. Yeah. Or in this case, like an art auction house. But it's the same thing, right? Where these things that are supposed to be completely uninstitutionalized, just lines, all the rules just in lines of code, so you don't have fallible humans dealing with them. It's like, ah, fuck, we forgot about all the things. Libertarians love finding out the hard way why, like, rules exist, but uh, are they ever going to find out the hard way why the age of consent exists? (laughs) Oh, some of them do, every year. Yeah. Uh, they say. <laughs> well, they find out that it does. They don't necessarily find out why. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, well, they got a lot of time to read. So they say, uh, the meta NFT is usable as a building block to spawn new NFTs and other products uh, and experiences limited only by the imagination of the creators. And also, of course, if they can afford the rent that you're charging for cyan. So the imagination yeah. of the creator in this case has to be pretty fucking limited. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you can have ape. You can have a... Uh... Ape. You can have another different you have any kind. NFT. You, you have it in any color you want, so long as it's ape. Yeah, the ape color is going to be so so lucrative. Um, so the uh, but the thing what they want to do is they want to say, look, we want to create a new thing, a new method, a new kind of OpenSea, which is like a market for NFTs, right? And the, mm-hmm. and then what will happen is anytime someone mints or buys and sells an NFT, whoever owns the color, for so they just get a rent payment every time. Does that mean your NFTs can only be like one color? Well, no, it's that, well, here's the thing. They are 10,000 NFTs that they're selling colors of, and they have a something called a win-by-color distance model where they have like a big color wheel. And so for every pixel in the NFT up under over a certain threshold, whoever's color that they own is closest, they get the rent for it. So basically, you'll be unable to portray anything. Um, well, you're incentivized to use as few colors as possible in a digital space where using many colors is or wasn't recently completely cost free. Cool. It's now more expensive to use more colors on MS Paint. What, what if we awesome. make the apes blander? I mean, I mean, I'm kind Land of in favor of this now. Club. Yeah, this might make them less visually offensive. <laughs> we're, 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 we're boring this might up be a the win apes for normal people. Yeah, yeah. we're finally making the bored apes less. I mean, again, this is probably not going to go anywhere because it's moronic. But I know a bunch of other moronic stuff goes places. Let's let's see uh, what that's happens. That's true, yeah. So what you do is you choose a color. It says no algorithm involved for machines cannot see. So you just pick a color from this like, you know, palette. And then the guy says, and you and I have never met each other. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then you name your color. You can call it like, I don't know, Riley's favorite orange. Uh, uh, horse semen. Yeah, you, of course. Oh, yeah. horse semen. Yeah. Uh, and then you give your color a name and then you can give it a little like biography. You know, like uh, you tell the universe what your color means. And then basically that token ID associated with you, anyone who wants to mint an NFT from this like OpenSea competitor then has to pay you for if they use Riley's favorite orange. Well, why would you use that instead of OpenSea then? Uh, Because you hate OpenSea because OpenSea has made all sorts of uh, (laughs) because OpenSea has gestured at trying to become a company. Well, yeah, but okay, but at least it doesn't charge you rent. Well, no, but they like that because they're an institute. Oh. They'd rather have a complicated series of interlocking rents. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> they want to have. Um, really excited to pay rent. By the way, here's an interesting thing. You know what? Um, uh, there's a recent statistic has been released about OpenSea. Oh, I love is, when a recent statistic has uh, been released. Like, 
80% of NFTs that have been minted on OpenSea are either plagiarized, fake, or spam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just, it, it is, it's so cool that they, like, there's this whole, that they've invented, they've invented the worst parts of email and made that the whole thing. Yeah, and this yeah. is, like, done astroturfed by, like, 12 guys. Has gotten, like, into the brains of maybe, I don't know, like, 12,000 of the dumbest guys on Earth. And now, uh, every so- sort of like credulous fucking moron, like from journalists to politicians, including our special boy, has gone. Hmm, this must be the future. Yeah. Well, look, because it's got computers involved, and I mean, this also goes- some of those first twelve or so guys were also probably Nazis. So <laughs> you know. So this, I mean, this goes back to um, uh, the the idea that basically, like, a lot of really, a lot of what explains the the. What's going on with like Web three, crypto, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is that for all of this stuff, like a lot of this stuff takes place on the Ethereum blockchain, which means not a lot of people have to buy certain cryptocurrencies to get into it. And that really, uh, what what is happening is that the big whales are just are slowly selling uh, to small retail bag holders who are who who who, need, who are gonna like trying to get in on this stuff. Meanwhile, the big whales, because like ten guys own the vast majority of it, they can't sell. Because the market has no depth, they can't. There's no one to buy that yeah, much of what you, they can you're sell. You're the fucking like Anish Kapoor of this shit. You own the like hex code for black or whatever. Well, well you know, but nobody can fucking like pay you rent because nobody's buying your fucking NFTs. Yeah, well, it's 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 bigger NFTs on your platform rather. It, it's bigger than that, right? Number one, yes, you could get you could get uh, fleeced in a small way because you pay some guy so that now that guy will say this guy owns the Anish Kapoor black actually. And you have the authority of that one guy. So that's one level. And then on the higher level, right, it's across the sort of crypto space, uh, a very small amount of people own almost all the cryptocurrency, which means they can't get their money into fiat with the normal money, because if they sell everything, then the value craters and no one will buy it. And then they're no longer rich. They can't get their money into fiat 500, so, which is what they want deep so down. What they have to do, and you can't use it to buy anything. It's just sitting there, and the number is very big. And so what they have to do is they have to entice a lot of retail people to come in, like like normal normal people, just being like, "Oh, I want to get in this cryptocurrency thing." They have to entice them to come in, and then say, um, "Hey, why don't you buy this? Get in on this project. Buy this. It's going to go up, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And then just slowly, 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 there's a huge transfer of stranded shitty assets from the very wealthy who've now secured it in uh, fiat currency to uh, retail who has um, uh, uh, now owns a database entry that they paid a thousand pounds for for some reason. Uh, this is right. this idea. Like, there's there's a, a long video on crypto recently that was released on the Folding Ideas YouTube channel, and he explains this very well. So I, re- I recommend that video if you're interested in hearing more about this. Uh, hmm. But yeah, you're, you're right to compare this to Anish Kapoor, right, Alice? Like, this is back to the focus of this one particular project. It's basically looking at that thing that Anish Kapoor did that every artist fucking hated and was like, what if... We made that easier and applied it to the ape economy. The ape economy. <laughs> I mean, no great loss if this is this is only happening to apes, right? The 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 danger is if this takes off and they start applying it to other things. Uh oh. Well, of course. I mean, the the more and the thing is, right? There's a real consent manufacturing process going on of trying to hustle people into Web3 and the metaverse and all this, and you kind of have this thing, I think, at the back of your mind, where you're like, at some point. Either a Tory government or my boss is going to compel me to do something in the metaverse, and I may have to pay a rent to some jackass that bought a color in 2022 off of some other random guy. And now some institution is forcing me to recognize that 
and you know suffer for it basically that's mm. the worry i i i have but fortunately all of this stuff seems to be so beyond credibility that I don't think that worry is particularly well-founded. You don't, you, you don't think that we're going to be paying rent to our various ape lords anytime yeah. soon. I've no. noticed you're in the office today, and um, what day is it again? It's Friday. Yeah, it's Friday, but what Friday? It's ape Friday. That's right. Now, where is your ape? Where's your ape? And, and I, I you can't... want to work at this company, you participate in now, Ape Friday. You, what you've done there, Milo, is you've given me mm. a horrifying idea. Right, which is simply to ask, where's your fucking poppy ape? Oh god, the remembrance <laughs> ape. Patriotic the ape. Respectful ape club. Where's your Captain Tom ape on this Captain Tom day? Oh fuck Captain Citizen. Tom ape is so gonna happen, yeah. isn't it? Um it's so gonna happen. <laughs> How much trouble would we get in if we did a shirt that was a Captain Tom ape? Captain Tom NFT collection exists on on, on OpenSea now. There are multiple yeah, but if we different. Just stole it. If we simply right-clicked and saved, and we did a shirt that you could buy that was Captain Tom as an ape. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, Board uh, Captain so, Tom. Uh, it's it's a the, right now on OpenSea. You can buy for fifteen hundred dollars a picture of Captain Tom superimposed over a Union Jack. Bargain at any price. Okay. But where's the ape? Where's the ape content yeah. that I crave? Well, um, I mean, you could, and if you, we applied the uh, color dot museum logic to this, then like. The, whoever owns the colors of the British flag would just make tons of money out of the Captain Tom <laughs> NFT collection. Mm, awesome. Yeah. Uh, awesome. I love. I love looking at Web three projects and just like just like peering into the psychology that they depend on. But uh, I think Great it's time stuff. for us to talk to Phil Burton Cartledge about his book about the Conservative Party in the future. And if that's Ooh. right, I don't know how that conversation is going to go. I hope it's insightful and entertaining. Yeah, can mm. you lead us in with a what is the Conservative Party? Uh, what is the second segment of the Trash Future podcast? Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the second half of the show. <laughs> what a first half it was. Oh, man. That, uh, we really uh, had that Thursday feeling going. Yeah, we did, yeah. That's absolutely right. <laughs> Got that Thursday feeling. Uh, and joining us for the second half is uh, Phil Burton Cartledge, lecturer in sociology at the University of Derby and author of Falling Down, a book about, uh, I assume, the movie starring Michael Douglas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Phil, how's it going? <laughs> Great to meet a star. Sadly, there's, uh, there might be some dead bodies in this, but... Uh, in, in the pages of the book, but not in uh, mm. such glorious, satisfying fashion as the, the movie. economy is supposed to look like the picture. Yeah. <laughs> like, I actually got throat cancer from reading Phil's book. Yeah. Um, you will not get throat cancer from reading Falling <laughs> Down, you published the, by Mercer. The, the TS blurb. Yeah. This book uh, is healthy. Yeah, it's book. this book is as, as good to eat as it is to read. Uh, mm. No, no. Yeah. Uh, Phil... <laughs> <laughs> you uh, took an optimistic tone. <laughs> if you're a regular person, read the book. If you're an oaf, maybe just eat yeah. it. If you know? you're that guy, <laughs> either way, buy the book. If you're, uh, we're definitely oaf. We're, 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 we're oaf core on the show. What about maybe? on TV? Uh, who the uh, Matthew? What, remind me, who's the guy that ate his book about uh, oh, Corbin right, Goodwin? Matthew Goodwin. Matthew Goodwin. Yeah, yeah. if you're a bibliophile, uh, bibliophage like mm. Matthew Goodwin. No, one of the poll profs. Yeah. No, we are we are talking to one of the good Paul profs. Uh, Phil, you're a, a sociologist, and what you have written, essentially, if I could summarize it, is a sociology of the Conservative Party and how it adapts and fails to adapt to changing conditions around it. Would you say that's about correct? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 
sort of biological field notes on uh, on, on Tories. Yeah, that's one. That's one way of putting it. I was going to say, yeah. And somehow, Phil, you're you're not like emaciated or dead at the end of this. This is, you know, you haven't uh, succumbed to dark magic. Yeah, well, he's been eating books. Oh right, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. The only way to protect yourself from studying <laughs> the Tory Party. Ah, yeah, uh, the, the serious half, getting off mm. to a good serious start. No, no. So, look, I want to start, Phil, with your statement of purpose because I really, really agree with what you say about not assuming that the Tory Party is this unassailable behemoth that stands astride sort of um, British electoral politics and culture, the media and so on. It's a monolith with them, but it is beatable and you have to understand its weaknesses. So here's what you write. The conservatives are not only a model case study for the longevity of parties and competitive party systems, but are also fundamental to our understanding of Britain's politics, class structure, and the character of its state. These alone are reasons enough for a serious attempt, a serious attempt, excuse me, to understand the state of the conservative party in the 21st century. Studying the, and analyzing the Tories can, but should not be a purely academic exercise, which brings into sharp relief contemporary writing about the party. Most political commentary appearing in the British press reads embarrassingly like fandom, full of praise for the visionary qualities and overdone patriotism of this party's leading lights, instead of seeking to explain what's happening in the party and providing snippets of information to help pe- their readers piece together the whys and wherefores of policy, decision-making, and blunders in office. The voluminous press coverage of the party attracts instead... A, 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 excuse me. The voluminous press coverage the party attracts instead obscures its workings, rendering the Tory party a mysterious and charmed entity that happens to win elections a lot. Structural relationships are merely hinted at with the occasional exposure of a tie between a certain politician and a certain business. Good or bad policy is a mark of personal qualities or right or wrong ideas. Well, that's our columnist listenership gone. (laughs) So I know that this was a very long excerpt, but it was one that I think suggests that say uh, suggests that a serious and academic look at the conservatives is a worthwhile activity. So can you tell me a little bit more about what the conservative party is and how to look at it from a sociological point of yeah, view? So step 1. What 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 is a Tory? What what are they? <laughs> Webster's dictionary etc. So sadly uh, Tories are all too human they're not reptilian. Sorry to go there. <laughs> um, We've lost David Icke as well now, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I guess the the best way to think about the Tory party is a kind of a a movement of the ruling class. You know, we typically, in sociology, when we think about social movements and if people take courses on social movements or read about social movements, we have the idea of people getting together in the street or kind of engaging in some kind of protest activity Mm. or facing off against the police and so on. But the ruling class have its own, has its own movements as well. Conservatism is one such movement. Liberalism is another such movement. So the way to think about the Conservative Party is not just as a kind of a discrete entity that has a membership and a bureaucracy and a, num- a set of members of parliament, but as a kind of a network that exists, that reaches across, obviously, politics, but also uh, the state, the personnel of the state, particularly Treasury, Bank of England, into the armed forces, into the upper echelons of the police, uh, obviously into the editorial officers of the press. And it's wait, what? It's a, <laughs> I know it's shocking. It's crazy. <laughs> I know, t- t- crazy talk indeed. Get get my tinfoil hat out. Um, 
And so that's probably the best way to approach the Conservative Party. It's less a party and more a movement. And this is a prob- obviously the problem that a lot of the poll profs have got because they just do treat it as some sort of entity that contests elections and runs governments and nothing else. Whereas a socio- sociological take would actually see the Conservative Party, not just in its political context, but in its sociological context mm. as a kind of a political wing of the ruling class and therefore a kind of a, a politicised network of ruling elites more or less moving in the same direction. Mm. And it doesn't really care, as, as you want to think about it from a long-term perspective, right? If you want to sort of cast back to the 19th century, it doesn't really care who the ruling class is, whether that's a gentry, whether that's a factory owner or whatever. It's just always going to be on their side. Yeah, it's proven quite adaptable to like uh, different forms of like the same, you know, economic thing, right? <laughs> so if I doesn't care if you're white, black, or purple, <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, so yeah, I feel like this is something that you've talked about, right? About how, and I think Alice, this is sort of what kind of what you're driving at as well, which is that. Mm. Looking at the at the British parties this way says, well, no, Britain actually is a one party state. It just changes the party every third of, you know, 15 to 40 years. Yeah, pretty much. Um, because if you think about um, we've just gone from one period of, well, we're in a kind of a period of one party states at the moment, if you like. So we had the period 1979 to 1970, uh, sorry, 1979 to 97 under one party, then 97 to 2010 under another party, though, of course, there was significant policy continuity between those two parties. And then from 2010 until today, and of course, again, there are significant policy continuities. So the period of the 1970s, from say the mid-1960s all the way through to 1979, where we had that kind of switching around of parties in government, that is actually an aberration because before then that was preceded by a long period of Conservative government short period of Labour government, and then before that, another long period of Conservative government. So effectively, we are living in Tory Britain. You know, there is not one party that has done more to shape this country. It's, it's policy, it, the policies, it's, it's political culture more than the Tories. And that's why Britain is such a great country to live in today. It's in the name. That's also the thing that like bothers me so much about Starmerism, right? Is that it's like it's such a, a, a like a creature of this sort of mm. like one one party state thing where it's like, well, you let us you let us have a turn with Blairism, you know, now it's our decade again. It's it's like a, a politics of Mum said it's my turn on the Xbox. <laughs> Kia Washington Generals Starmer. <laughs> Just really thinking about the Washington Generals a lot lately. Well, it's because mm. I was talking about them earlier when we were on the phone. Um, mm. So I think, like, when and I get yeah, weirdly, we haven't spoken about them, so I've brought them up entirely separately. That's right. That's right. I've never met this man, audience. <laughs> yeah, you um, just confirmed that. Yeah. Uh, we, we have never and met. This is your watch. <laughs> uh, so I, what I want to ask, right, is in this period of time, though, the Conservative Party has cha- has changed so 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 much. Mm. Its its opponents, what starting as the Liberal Party, now the Labour Party, have sort of risen and fallen. Um, whereas the Conservative Party, what it does is it it's very protean. It transforms mm. sort of very readily. And you might say, well, rather than what transforms, I think is more interesting to ask is what is the core that everything else shifts around to protect. Yeah, so what's the Tory secret source, if you like? Um, I suppose 
in, in, one, in one respect, you can kind of think about it in terms of class, class relations and capitalism more generally, because as we know, uh, capitalism is an incredibly dynamic system that has a proven track record of incorporating all kinds of countercultural objects, uh, social movements, people's desires, uh, and so on. So unsurprisingly, you know, the favoured party of British capital is able to do that as well. But if there is a particular core that the Tories are concerned with defending, you know, a particular set of class relations, I'd say there are kind of there are two broad things really. So well one is broad, one is quite specific. The broad thing is, you know, the defense of class relations themselves, particularly the wage relation, making sure the working class do not develop any kind of collective consciousness, making sure that you know, any opportunity that the Tories have to put the thumb screws on to keep people individuated and divided amongst themselves. That is what the Tories do. And they've done that expertly throughout the coronavirus pandemic, for example. Um, the second thing, the kind of the economic entity, if you like, that they've been particularly interested in defending is the City of London. Now, every Tory government, since there have been Tory governments in the kind of the modern sense since the 1830s, their concern has been primarily around the defence of that particular institution. Um, why the City of London? Well, because it's the linchpin of, you know, of, of the British bourgeoisie, for want of a better phrase. It's uh, their means of, you know, they've, the British bourgeoisie have made more money um, and owe their power to making London the kind of the world centre of, you know, of, of brokerage, of exchanging stocks, of raising finance, of building money markets, and so on. And it's the goose that lays the golden egg as far as the British ruling class are concerned. If the status of the city, city of London can be maintained, if competitors can be seen off, then, you know, it's still ka time as far as they're concerned. The money keeps rolling in all the time. So people like Jacob Rees-Mogg and Rishi Sunak, who have very strong ties to the city of London, you know, they don't care about levelling up in Bradford or in Manchester or, uh, you know, the fate of Scotland or what happens in the southwest. Because as long as, you know, the... The city of London is able to attract the best and the brightest and it's able to compete with New York, with Frankfurt, with Tokyo, with Hong Kong, then they're, they're quite happy. And that is, if you like, the, the core concern of the Tories. So let's talk about, I think, two different splits, two different sort of political clefts that the Tories have to maneuver. One is capital versus capital. So what we, something we've talked about before on the show, mm. right, is the different needs and uh, characteristics of provincial, extractive, heavy, dirty capital uh, and urban, financial, uh, service-based um, capital that prefers high, like, high regulation so that there are huge barriers to entry and so on that goes for monopolies, right? There are the, the differences between these two kinds of capital, they've been sort of defining um, the sort of the swings, that, uh, not just uh, economically, but also culturally that we've seen sort of from the 90s, 2008. 2016, all these things, there's different, different kinds of capital vying with one another. And I think you can see that in the Tory party, the sort of... The party of swingers. For example, yeah, that's right. Number one, they have lots of... Sex, there are lots of people associated with the sex party scene in the Tories. Uh, and number two, the fact that you can see like, you know, the, uh, the sort of liberal Remainer Tories that tended to be more, sort of, again, associated with those mm. urban, urbanized industries. And then 
the sort of more uh, conservative culture war-y lever Tories that tended to be associated with guys like Aaron Banks, Dyson, Crispin O'Day, who's hedge fund man- hedge fund manager, but who invests almost exclusively in oil, yeah. right? These paintballing di- activities yeah. like that, That's right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and so there, yeah, that's- and, and, and so you see like all the occasional tension within this spillover yeah. is when you know uh, various like finance conservatives, or I suppose I should say like city conservatives, say things like, "Oh, we're just handcuffed to you know a, a nation of idiots mm-hmm. who like <laughs> want to you know fucking deport everybody." Yeah, but then the other tension is the fact that they are still a mass political party that does still need to get elected, and so they need to calculate the exact right amount of patronage to throw out, basically, to keep people bought in. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I feel like less and less that's important. Mm. Um, I mean, like, we've mentioned this before on the show very recently, but I feel like there's this sort of, like, broad sort of transition towards managed democracies where political parties realize they can, like, take and hold power without really that much engagement from most people. I was thinking about this a bit today because of all the stuff about TFL being bankrupt again and how the government's just like, yeah, we're just not going to do anything about that. Like, we're just, you know, like, the entire emoji. the yeah. entire transport system to include roads of, like, our country's capital, which is, like, where most of the money comes from that we need. We're just going to be like, nah. Well, and again, that, so that goes back to what you were saying, Phil, right? There's this, there are these tensions, right, of the mm. need to preserve the city of London as this thing, but also... Uh, a desire to say not fund transport and mm. and that these things are that these things are th- are problems that they have to confront as as a social movement right yeah absolutely they always need to do just enough in order to stay in power and this is where the the tories are kind of in in many ways you know my book argues they're in a kind of a tight spot but in another way they're also in a bit of a sweet spot as well because their their present coalition of voters means they don't actually have to do a great deal of anything. You know, as, as I'm sure you've discussed many times before, oh, yeah, they know. hate governing. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> governing is like is is lying, you know, reclining on the front bench and closing your eyes, like Jacob Rees-Mogg, and listening mm, to mm. proceedings in in the House of Commons. Mm. You know, because what do, what is it that their base wants? Well, we know that their base is overwhelmingly elderly. And also disproportionately turns out to vote. And it's very, you know, it's very hard to kind of think about ways of dislodging that vote because... Tipping point should be on earlier. It's too late. (laughs) I need to go to bed. (laughs) But as far as the Tories are concerned, as long as they run a system where asset prices keep on increasing, you know, and letting infrastructure, you know, fall apart, that's not going to affect asset prices too much. You know, their, their base is happy. You know, the landlords mm. still get it, collecting their rent. The property oh, yeah. commercial interests are still getting their rents as well. And the old A pensioners are still seeing their uh, their house prices increase over time. And so the Tories don't need to do anything in order to stay in power. I suppose they're kind of their levelling up agenda is a belated recognition that, well, actually, they do need to do something. They do need to sort out the infrastructure eventually because yeah, otherwise so low effort yeah. because they're all like not only do they not want to do it but they're also like out of practice because they're like temperamentally unsuited to mm. it exactly they're all com- completely short-termist and that is the tory statecraft it's always you know particularly since uh cameron and osborne you know incredibly short-termist just chasing the the next headline and mm. theresa may was less like that but boris johnson is certainly a lot like that and so that's that's you know a big structural problem that they've got. 
I, th- I think the the word recognition uh, that you use to to describe uh, leveling up is I think the exact word I would use because it really isn't anything more than recognition. Mm. It's just them saying to someone who previous government said no, we're putting you in managed decline and you love it and you can become a computer programmer. Don't worry about it. They're yes. actually saying... <laughs> you little bitch. Yeah, they're actually saying, they're actually saying, no, your life sucks. But then that's basically it. They're just recognizing that you have it bad, other people have it better, and you should be resentful of them. Yo, I ain't reading all that, but I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. That, that's, what, that's essentially what the leveling up agenda is. It's all, all this stuff, like no new money, all this. But, and again, this goes back around to how why you have to be understood as a whole social movement because as a purely as a political party you can't explain that unless you ha- understand that there is a whole social movement of say yeah. people lying about what's going on to all the other people who are trying to make sense of what these parties are doing yeah that's it um it's quite interesting the lying in and of itself you know the tories rely on lying because fundamentally the conservative party is a dishonest political enterprise it's all about presenting the interests of the tiny minority as the as the general interest. But what is also quite interesting as well is you see that conservative home is usually the good place to go if you really want to know where what Tories are thinking, because that's where they go to think aloud. And Early in January 2020, not long after their next elect, after their famous election victory, does this blog post just say kill? (laughs) (laughs) The Tories were kind of fretting about what do they do with these new seats that they've just won, and James Frain from Public First argued in a in a post saying, "We don't need to do anything. Don't bother doing anything. Don't bother addressing their concerns. Don't bother kind of spending money. Just leave them be. They'll still vote for us." And I mean, I think this now that's yeah. the fucking handshake meme with Keir Starmer. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> Why address anyone's concerns? No, I, I, you know, it's like, oh, don't worry, I've stopped us addressing anyone's concerns. Give me the Xbox controller. I promise not to ruin your game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this. Go- I think we can sort of also connect this to like Stuart Hall's discussion about like Thatcherism, how economics is a project to change the soul, mm. and all this. I mean. If if they have a project to change the soul, what is that project? Well, the, the, the conservative project is always basically the preservation of class relationships, preservation of their, their class interests. That's always the project and everything else kind of flows from that. Um, and so Thatcher had a particular kind of project. I mean, we can debate about, you know, there's a lot of debate out there about how coherent her project was, but it was very clear that when she was elected, that you know she had a plan in place to take on the trade unions for smashing the miners and for restructuring the British state. And as I talk about in the book, as you go through the 1980s, of course, she took on different aspects of the labour movement, you know, bringing them all to heel and subordinating them directly to the authority of the executive, i.e. the government. And so for that, it's all about destroying pockets of autonomy and pockets of authority and pockets of expertise that existed in in the state in order to bring everything to to heal, in order to reassert the the primacy of capital and of their class interests. And all throughout the Cameron years, through Theresa May and even through Boris Johnson, that project, even though it's slightly shifted in emphasis, is still the case, you know, subordinate everything to, to government. And so you can think about the, the attacks or Tory attacks on the right to protest, for example. You know, the idea that Extinction Rebellion are kind of 
going to go all Maoist and collectivise the Tory landowners. It's just utterly absurd. <laughs> We're threatened by crusties. These mums have got crystals and they're not fucking around. <laughs> that's right. But, you know, that's that's one of the like that's one of the central hypocrisy things, right? Is to talk about small government and then to mm. you know turn the police on you or whatever else. Well, of course, because um, what they what they're always talking about, right? And I think this is they're, they're talking about. Um, they're talking about, you know, like freedom for, well, who for to do yeah. what, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think then, it, given, given all of that, right, understanding sort of the total focus of this entire social movement on subordinating, on, on subordinating the vast majority of people to the government for the purposes of enabling a very small minority to enjoy... I don't know, ivory back scratchers or yeah, treats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, axe throwing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To all go to the to go to the special axe throwing bar that's also a swingers club. But also <laughs> while playing kind of kaplunk with their own security because yeah. like they sort of need the police to keep them there, but at the same time they're like, But how many police can we fire and yeah. still yeah. And, maintain and our very power? Very funny. And just instinctually calling them plebs anytime yeah. they see them. <laughs> just say yeah. what you oh, like they, about no, someone like Putin. It. Like he knows he needs lots of cops and he keeps hiring them. Like he has a <laughs> Kind of consistent ideology in that way, <laughs> whereas I feel like the Tories are trying to do that thing. Uh, Pierre, a friend of the show, Pierre Novelli, once told me a story about uh, Jacob Zuma, uh, the former president of South Africa, was trying to threaten Robert Mugabe into signing a contract. Apparently, Robert Mugabe was being super difficult about it, and he and Zuma said to him. I have uh, 10,000 white South African soldiers out there who apparently were, like, feared throughout Africa. And, of course, he had fucking none. Like, they hadn't had any for, like, 20 years. <laughs> but, like, the idea of these white South African soldiers was enough to get Robert Mugabe to sign yeah. this agreement. No, no, they, uh, they're, they're all actually in jail in Equatorial Guinea. Yeah, that's well, that, yeah that, that was a story that was told <laughs> to you by Jerk van der We've had a few problems. Okay. No, but, so what I want to ask, uh, right, is given all of that, given this social movement... That sort of has spread across all of these institutions, this coterie of various government departments, uh, high offices in the army, armed forces, the press. It basically is uh, horizontally at the top of most things, right? Mm -hmm. Including the Labour Party. Uh, there's this, <laughs> this, there is this movement, right? What are its structural weaknesses in terms purely of electoral politics, right? I mean, we're talking about this from a yeah, political party. You can't, yeah. you can't say, what, what are its weaknesses? Uh, Molotovs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, what, it, so it, purely because we're talking about, we're looking at this social movement from the lens of the Tory party. You could look at it from any number of other lenses, which we often do, but because we're looking at it from this lens, from the perspective of that lens, what are its weaknesses? How do you understand it as a fallible thing? I suppose its biggest weakness is the fact that even though it has a mass base in terms of the, the Conservative Party, so-called grassroots, they're, they're quite isolated from the rest of what's going on in Britain. So you remember that you know, the, the Brexit referendum and also the election of Jeremy Corbyn plus you know the, the heart attack, the near heart attack the establishment had in 2017 was precisely because, yeah. in some cases. <laughs> but yeah, indeed. They all, their danger is insularity and just being able to talk amongst themselves. So they don't realise what's really going on out there. And so they can't get a sense of the contradictions that are piling up out there, some of the problems that are piling up out there. Now, I'm not one to kind of ever soft soap the Tories, but this is a disadvantage that they did not have in the post-war period. 
because after after this, you know, Tory membership peaked at around 2.7 million people. It had roots in large numbers of communities. You can still go to bits and pieces, parts of Britain, where you can see Conservative Association bars, for example. And so the poll profs like to talk about parties having a linkage function. And this idea is that the membership are more broadly representative of the population as a whole. They feel the pressures of the population as a whole, and therefore those pressures get transferred to the parliamentary elites, and then they theoretically act on them. But if you just look at what the Labour Party says about its own members, it thinks they're all a bunch of weirdos and freaks. And the Tories... Yeah, they're right, but yeah. not for the right reasons. <laughs> <Yeah. I see. laughs> and the Tories, you know, they're so distrustful of their membership that their membership have absolutely no say over the policy direction of the party whatsoever. And so we have this situation where previously the Tories were able to at least have a bit of assemblage of a linkage function and understand what was going on in wider society. But now they're kind of the, the elites are only in conversations with themselves. They have reflected back at them, the media, which is only kind of really interesting what goes on in those elite circles. And so they don't know what's going on outside. I suppose, again, the levelling up agenda is a belated recognition that something needs to be done to keep, you know, the popular masses um I suppose Satisfied. we'll have to give the Northerners a train. Yeah, exactly. One train. Waking what can it scraps. cost? $10? <laughs> Waking up in a cold sweat to realise that for the past 15 years you've been in government of a large country. <laughs> well, this is this is why they're always rebelling against themselves, right? Because they come to some realisation mm. five, seven years too late, declare it's massive injustice, and then they're, they will then be... Uh, handily, of course, portrayed as rebels, and everyone can understand them as change makers. And then they will come in and dutifully do what they always do. Uh, so, like, it's uh, privatize some shit yeah, and sell it off. Exactly. Yeah. So, on the yeah. one hand, you know, Half, it is build one train, get bored, sell it to a company who'll asset strip it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> one, and, and then and sell it, of course, for the price of a tenth of a train. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's good business, baby. But look, I guess um, some of the Tories, I was just going to say, I guess some of the Tories is they're hoping that, you know, if Starmer somehow wins an election, that he would be this kind of reforming, building prime minister who over the course of 10 years will build up all the institutions, nationalise some shit, even though he says he's not going to. So then mm. when the Tories, if the Tories get another turn, then they can relive all their Thatcher fantasies and privatise everything again. <laughs> yeah, well, basically, the Tories do kind of need uh, some of the stuff to respawn a bit so they can kill it again, right? Like, that's basically... <laughs> so you're saying, they, they, they basically, like, they've been, like, spawn camping, like, the British state for the last 40 years. currently in, like, a zero-player game. Like, there's been a server error and everyone else has left. <laughs> yeah, they're just, just teabagging the landscape. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I think that that brings <laughs> us round. Title. Yeah, that brings us round. I think to a very to to a, a nice sort of uh, tidy conclusion. Uh, so I want to say I want to give uh, Phil the sort of the last word on this discussion of what are the Tories and how are they to Tory be understood? Party, good or bad? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Out of five, what yeah, are you giving them? Speed round. Three, two, one, go. They're terrible. You know, you've got to remember, it's, you know, I've got plenty of criticisms of the Labour Party, and I, you know, I. What? Well, <laughs> uh, cut his mic, cut his mic. <laughs> I'm completely on board with kind of this idea around, around the kind of the monolith as well that you kind of explored in various, um, in various episodes of your show. But 
there is something particularly special about the Conservative Party. You know, this is the mm. the chief instrument of our enemy, and I think that the left do need to take it a lot more seriously. Rather, we yeah, you know, we know that the Tories are a bunch of bastards. We know that they're going to come in. They're going to privatise your granny. They're going to cut benefits. Mm. They're going to put up energy prices and then offer you a loan in order to pay for it. You know, they're going to do these awful things, but the left need to be a bit more serious. They need to go back to Stuart Hall, look at how he thought about the Tories in the 1980s. And we've got to really do a similar kind of job, but not just leave it because after Stuart Hall Mm. finished writing about the Tories in the 1980s, there was very little that was published seriously on the left Mm. about divisions within the Tory party, what it's all about, why they're obsessed with Europe, their relationship to class, very, very poor stuff. So that's pretty much what we've got to do. And one of the reasons why I wrote the book was to try and fill that gap to stimulate that kind of work. Well, if you Mm. want to stimulate your work, uh, then go ahead and uh, get Falling Down from uh, Verso uh, by Phil Burton. If you're hungry. (laughs) First read it. (laughs) Read it first. first, And then eat it. Buy buy two copies. Eat one, then read the other. You get more from it on the second eat. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It'll fill you right up. Yeah. Phil, thanks a lot for coming to hang out Cheers. with us today. That was a real pleasure. Sorry Thank we you. accidentally told everyone to eat your book. <laughs> as long as they buy it. As long exactly. as they buy it. And, uh, and they read it first. To yeah, all yeah. you out there in uh, podcast land, thank you very much for being a listener, for tuning in. And don't forget, for five simple American dollars, one, two, three, four, five, you can become mm. a Patreon subscriber. Five get stable a- coins a month. No, do we will not accept stable coins. Uh, <laughs> legally, those are uh, backed by nuts and gum. Uh, no, we will not accept stable coins. Five U.S. government issued dollars, uh, and you can get a second episode every week. Uh, this week yeah, we are be the bonus one. And for that second episode this week, we'll be talking to a historian of the internet and current writer about technology, Evgeny Morozov. Uh, so do tune in for that. Mm. In the meantime, thanks again, Phil, for coming on. Thanks to Cheers. you for listening, and see you in a few days. Bye. 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 Bye.